Good afternoon, Storehouse. If you would, please join me in standing for the reading of God's word. Isaiah 40, 27 through 31 says this, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increased strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. Happy New Year. Um, I hope y'all are doing well in the event that you did not catch Andrew. We're going to find ourselves in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. We're looking at verses 27 to 31. Once more, it's a joy to be with you. I feel like I'm the guest preacher because for the month of December, the guys did an amazing job. And so um, I got some shoes to fill. Uh, nevertheless, let's just dive right into our time. It's taken me about 20 years to figure out and realize something that I thought was either an insult or a challenge was really, uh, it was really more imparted wisdom. When I was in high school and we'd be in the weight room uh, trying to throw some weight around, there was always this coach who would join us and he was always there. His name is Coach Boca Negra, and all of us affectionately just called him Coach Boca or Boca. He was and is one of the most motivating, one of the most disciplined, and one of the strongest individuals I've ever met. And so we'd be in the weight room at Nikki Rowe, and in front of this poorly spray-painted wall that said, Welcome to the Jungle, and we'd be listening to 2000s heavy metal music, and there would Coach Boca be. And he would be thrown around some weight. And every time, or from time to time, I should say, uh, some of the, the young men, the young athletes would approach Coach Boca and they would challenge him because sometimes he would be lifting as much as them, if not more. And so they would challenge him with these strength uh, feats. They would say, hey, Coach, let's see if you can do this. Let's see if you can do that. How much more can I do than you? And Coach Boca would always respond with this. So remember, we're a bunch of 17-year-olds, a bunch of 18-year-olds. Hey, coach, I bet you we can lift more than you can. And Coach Boca would look at us and he would say, come see me when you're 37. And I hated that. I hated every time he would say that because it felt like an insult. It felt like a challenge. It made it sound as though we would never be as strong as Boca. And to be completely honest, I had this personal thought of that insult for many, many years. In fact, our church, when we used to meet at the incubator, we had this event. I think it was the Art Walk or something like that. And Coach Boca shows up. And I get really excited and I go over to Coach Boca and we visit, we catch up, we laugh. And he's telling me about family life and all of these different things. And it was great. I loved catching up with him. And right before he leaves, I say, oh wait, Coach, uh, by the way, I can finally put up X amount of weight for so many reps, and I'm not even 37. Boca smiled with humility in his voice and kindness in his eyes, looks at me and he says, come see me when you're 53. <laughs> you 
What a guy. All I can think about was I'm just never going to be strong like this dude. But it wasn't until recently that I finally realized what he was trying to teach us or what he did teach us all of those years. You see, Boca wasn't challenging us. He certainly wasn't insulting us. He was imparting wisdom. He was saying in a way that only Boca could, hey, the strength that you have one day, it's going to fade. You're going to wear out at some point. How many of you felt worn out at the end of last year? I don't need a show of hands. Just write it on your blog. How many of you felt worn out at the end of last year? How many of you could relate to what the psalmist regularly says, my strength has left me? For some of you, it's not that you were worn out, it's that you wore yourself out. And so here we are at the start of 2024, and regardless of what you think, everybody kind of gets excited, not to mention January 1st, starting on a Monday. How have you been doing on your diets? One person said, no, it starts tomorrow, because the start of the year is always on the 8th. But most of the time we're thinking, what are we going to do differently? Maybe what are some goals? What are some things I'd like to change? What are some things I'd like to pursue? And yet at the same time, here's the irony as we put all of this effort into this kind of reflection, we just can't figure it out. Here's why. You and I don't need more resolutions. You and I need renewal. In our text today, God lays it out on the table for us to realize that this renewal that you and I need is found only in his comfort. And that's your main idea. That the comfort of God is not a resolution. It is not for resolution. It is for renewal. And it is necessary. So let me pray, and then we'll dig into Isaiah 40. God, thank you for this afternoon. Thank you for the start of this wonderful year. It is by your grace that we are here worshiping you. It is by your grace that we are here. Therefore, as we, as we dive into your word, would you bring conviction for the sake of change? God, through your word and by your grace, would you comfort us so that we would obey not out of guilt, but out of grace? And lastly, as we walk through this text, may your goodness be our strength this afternoon. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, through the prophet Isaiah, God speaks to Israel at a specific time in history. When you read through uh, Isaiah, the, the entirety of the book, oftentimes you're going to see, particularly in the first 39 chapters, you're going to see a lot of prophecy come through, but you're also going to see God addressing a lot of Israel's sin. When you come to Isaiah 40, they at this point have already gone into exile. They are in Babylonian captivity at this point. And in chapter 40, specifically, the tone of God changes toward Israel. He goes from confrontation to comfort. In fact, I would encourage you to read all of chapter 40 because that's what it begins with. For instance, verse 1, comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. 
Right? So his tone changes from the first 39 chapters moving into chapter 40. Now here's why his tone has changed. As I mentioned, Israel is in captivity. They are in exile at this point, and they're not exactly flourishing. In fact, Israel is discouraged. They're going through hardship. They're in the middle of affliction. Things aren't going well. God has been pursuing them, challenging them, putting things on the table with them and for them. And so here we see Israel just absolutely discouraged. You don't necessarily have to reflect on 2023, but the question here for you is, are you discouraged? Have you been discouraged in the last season? See, Israel's not just discouraged, but they're also defeated. Again, they're in the midst of hardship and affliction. What about you? Have you felt defeated where you just feel like you're fighting sin constantly but losing even more? And I just try to do this with this cool spiritual routine, and I keep dropping the ball. I miss my one daily reading app, and then all of a sudden, I've gone four months, five months, six months without spending any time with the Lord. At this point, Israel is broken. They're broken in spirit. They're getting beat up physically, emotionally, spiritually. What about you? Have you been broken in spirit in the last season? Hearts broken. Have you been broken in your strength? Where you're just trying to exercise willpower because you listen to David Goggins and Jocko Willink, and so you're all about willpower, and it just keeps failing. You don't have enough because you're just not strong enough. You experience brokenness. So as we consider verse 27, that's a little bit of context. As we consider verse 27, remember, God's tone is not confrontational here. It is one of comfort. So let's look at verse 27. We're going to park in the first half of 27 for a bit. Here's how Isaiah opens up. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Here's what I want you to know as soon as you uh, look at verse 27. The comfort of God always begins with identity. First half of verse 27, what does he address them as? Oh, Jacob. Oh, Israel. He starts by calling them their name. Israel comes out of the line of Jacob, and so he's addressing them based on who he has called them to be, who they are. Are the comfort of God always begins with identity, who he has called you to be. I don't know if you like movies or you're a movie buff, but in 1989, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out. And uh, if you haven't watched it, not only will we not judge you, I won't spoil it for you, but uh, in the movie, they're in the search of the Holy Grail. And at some point or at the end of the movie, they end up finding the Holy Grail. And there's this knight who's been guarding the Holy Grail. And he tells Indiana, along with one of his associates, Elsa, he tells them, you can take the cup, but if you go beyond the seal of this cave, you can't, right? Stuff's going to happen. And they're like, gotcha. They take the cup. They help out Sean Connery. I'm skipping ahead a lot, but if you were around in the 80s, you're just reminiscing, right? 
<clears throat> so they go, they help out Indiana's dad, and at one point Elsa gets the cup, and she says, come on, let's go, let's go. And so Indy starts telling her, no, if you cross the seal, something's going to happen. The knight told us not to go beyond the seal. She doesn't listen, and the ground erupts, and it splits in two. And she's hanging from a cliff, trying to reach for the Holy Grail as one other hand is stretched out to Indy. And he's holding on, he's holding on, and he's telling her, I can't hold on much longer, I can't hold on much longer. And eventually, Elsa dies, right? As she dies, there's this flip. Now, Indy ends up falling off of the cliff, and he's really close to the grail, and his dad, Henry Jones, a.k.a. Sean Connery, a.k.a. James Bond, he reaches for Indy, right, and he grabs on Indy's hand, and he's telling him, Junior, that's his nickname, Junior, hold, give me your other hand. And Indy keeps saying, I'm so close, Dad, I'm so close, and he's looking at the Holy Grail. He's looking at this cup. His eyes are on the grail because it's so close. And if you're an Indiana Jones fan, throughout the movie, his dad is always calling him Junior. And his friends, the closest people around him, always call him Indy. In this one little scene, as his dad's holding on, he says, Indiana, Indiana, let it go. And so he looks away from the grail, looks to his dad, and he swings his hand, and his dad saves him. In that moment, he heard the voice of his father. He looks away from the grail, and he looks to his dad. Henry Jones, Indy's dad, called him by who he is, his son. So when you consider verse 27, and God begins by saying, Oh, Jacob, oh, Israel, he's calling them by their name. He's reminding them, you belong to me. You're a son, you're a daughter. We're going to talk about some stuff, but you first belong to me. Comfort always begins, or the comfort of God always begins with identity. And what ends up happening, right, is that it now lends itself into a space of honesty. So Israel looks to God, and here God is quoting uh, back to Israel what they have said. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. See, here's what's going on. Israel thinks God has forgotten about them. He thinks that he's left them to figure it out or to fend for themselves. Israel thinks that maybe he just doesn't care. And so they're just putting it on the table. That's a good place to be with the Lord, particularly as we turn our way to him. And they're just being honest. When you read the word right, it's another word for season or affliction or, or hardship. The word disregarded means overlooked, that they feel like God has overlooked them in the season of hardship that they're experiencing. And so they're just, they're just putting it on the table with the Lord. So he's quoting it back to have this exchange with them. I know that many of you have felt this way, especially in the last season. Tired, exhausted, broken, discouraged. I want you to allow this little text, verse 27, to minister to your soul. That the comfort of God always begins with identity, not 
activity. It always begins with who you are, chosen by God, loved by God, redeemed by God, reconciled to God, forgiven by God, his, his prized possession, the apple of his eye, his beloved. We can go on and on. I want you to allow this text to minister to you. So, so if, you've got, if you're taking some notes, here, here's your homework if you want some. Answer this question, who does God call me? It's a lot harder than it seems. It's really hard because I don't know if you're anything like me, but you want to turn immediately to activity. Just tell me what do I need to do? Just tell me what the plan is? Just tell me how to fix this. But when you park in that question and you write it down, don't just think it. There's the, there's the second part, right? Write it down. God calls me beloved. God calls me forgiven. He calls me redeemed. This is all before the presence of God and the mundane, not the spectacular. And you can put it on the table. You can put a bunch of honesty on the table. I promise you, check it, he can handle your honesty. I promise you, he can handle your honesty. So worry more about doing all of the explanation and worry less about eloquence. Okay? Let verse 27 minister to you. Comfort always begins with identity. Next, we're looking at verses 28 through 30. So as Israel puts it on the table, I feel like you've just overlooked this. It's been really difficult. Here, the Lord responds to Israel through Isaiah. And that's what he does for his children. To those who belong to him through faith, he responds to us through his word. So here we go, verse 28. He begins by saying, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The word known references the work that God has done for his people. All right, this is Israel. Israel has everything from history and glory on their side, right? This is Israel who can go back and talk about all of the things God had done for them, that he has redeemed them out of slavery, that he has called them to himself. They have story, or the, excuse me, they have glory and history on their side. The word heard uh, references or is a reference to what he has revealed to him through his word, through the sending of the prophets that are constantly preaching, repent and turn back to God, repent and return back to God, be restored to God. And so God responds to Israel, or God's response to Israel is still with comfort, but he's going to put some reality on the table. And that's part of it, because this is the part where you and I might not necessarily like. We want to be honest, but we don't want the honesty coming back to us, right? And so what God is going to do is just he's going to put some stuff on the table, right? Some, he's going to provide some reality for the purpose of leading us to confession. And I'll tell you why in a moment, right? Here we go. Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Now that sounds like something you probably have in your living room or maybe in your bio on social media, right? <clears throat> maybe you even have it in Hebrew and a tattoo under your wrist. And so that statement would ring 
bells in the days of Isaiah. It should uh, do the exact same for us. Here's why. In context, Israel was surrounded by idolatry through other nations, through other things happening within them, and Israel succumbed to that idolatry. They submitted to idols. They embraced other idols apart from the true God and as a result forgot about him. So when God says that he is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he's giving it, he's the standard. He is above everything created because he is not limited like their idols or our idols. This statement would have made Israel look at their sin to see why they are where they are. Not just physically, but spiritually. See, Israel traded the truth of God, the word and work of God, for something temporary, for something built by men, for something that was enticing, for something that was fallible. See, Israel wasn't captivated by infallibility. They were more captivated by their feelings. And so here in verse uh, 28, the end of 28 through 30, God draws a comparison between him and their idols. So let's keep it going. The creator of the ends of the earth, he does not faint or grow weary. That little expression, faint or grow weary, you're going to see that three times in these verses. Okay? So anytime you see something repetitive, it's significant. <clears throat> so he does not grow faint or grow uh, weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. Unlike your idols, what he's telling Israel and what he's telling us, unlike your idols, um, God doesn't grow weary. He is not faint. Here's the distinction between those two words. To grow faint means to wear out over time, right? If you think of our bodies over time, right, we're going to fade out. Our, we're, our strength's going to leave us. Um, or we're going to get sick, all sorts of things. When it comes to growing weary, it's wearing ourselves out. That's all the stress and toil and things that we do to ourselves to try to keep up, to try to pursue other idols, the things that we do to rebel against God. That could be our sin. That could just be the way in which we live our lives, that we wear ourselves out. And so what God is saying is, unlike those idols, I don't grow weary and I don't grow faint. Unlike the strength that you and I won't have one day, I'll always have strength. I never grow weak. And the irony of this is Israel knows this just as much as you and I know this. And so what ends up happening, particularly with Israel, is that they, uh, they, they place their eyes on idols and they're like, this is what's going to give me value. This is what's going to give me worth. This is what's going to give me love and dignity and all sorts of things. And when it doesn't, because they fail or the idol fails, what they end up doing is that they move on to another idol just like you and I. But God does not wear out. He is never worn out. He is not limited. In fact, in verse 29, check it, he says, he gives his power to the faint. 
So if you feel like you're worn out, one of the promises here is that God gives you his strength. Doesn't make you stronger, doesn't give you supplements. He gives you his strength. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. He gives constantly his strength. You shall faint, young men shall fall exhausted. That at one point, our strength is going to leave us. Now you can look at that as far as physical strength, but it encapsulates much, much more. The reality is that you and I just can't keep going. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how hard of a work ethic you have. You can't keep going, and you won't keep going. You will fall exhausted. The question is whether or not you think God cares about you. So one pastor, Drew Hunter, says it this way, God's glory is not just that he has power, but that he loves to use it to help those who need it. God is not too great to care. He's too great not to care. Comfort involves, or the comfort of God involves confession. And it means putting it on the table. What is it that has captivated you away from God? What has gripped your heart that you have turned from him? See, like I mentioned, this is the sign that we don't like because now we got to address this honesty. But, but here's the thing. We may not like it, but we have these two choices. We could either trust ourselves and how has that been going for us, or we can trust the Lord in this moment as he's put some stuff on the table before us. This is where we genuinely look at ourselves, we consider those idols that we serve, and we ask the hard question, what has actually come about my life? What have I turned to instead of God? To the Galatians, here's what the Apostle Paul says. Formerly, when you did not know God, when you were not a Christian, when uh, you, you were a pagan, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. You were enslaved to your sin. You were enslaved to unrighteousness. You were enslaved to idols and little g-gods. And he continues, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more, how can you turn away from God and voluntarily shackle yourselves back into your sin, into idolatry, into unrighteousness, into disobedience? And that's the key, right? Voluntarily. That these shackles are louder than my Savior. And oftentimes when we consider idols... They always tend to be like external kind of idols. Work, maybe you work too much. Maybe you place work as, as a, on this pedestal. Maybe it's relationships. You place relationships at a, at a higher pedestal above God. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's your emotions. Maybe it's your intellect. Maybe it's addictions. And to be fair, it could be those things, but it's also internal. We looked at this briefly on Christmas Eve that you and I think our biggest problem is external, but in reality, it's internal. 
It's not what's on the outside that makes us unclean. It's what's on the inside that makes us unclean. How can we voluntarily shackle ourselves back up? Where does confession come in? It's not just the fact that we confess our sins. To, to, to confess means to say that I admit to X. You and I have a hard time admitting that we are weak. That's part of the issue, right? It's hard to say I'm weak. Not that you failed, not that you're just trying so hard. No, no that you are weak. Paul had this issue, and then Jesus speaks to him, and he tells him this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's 2 Corinthians 12. On that verse, John Calvin says, if our hearts are not deeply moved by a conviction of our own weakness, we cannot receive seasonable assistance from God. Can you say that you are weak? That you are not strong enough? Remember the Incredibles when they got Mr. Incredible and he's like talking to his wife or something like that? I don't remember the scene, but I remember the line. And he's really upset, and she's like, just tell me the truth. And he just says, I couldn't save you because I'm not strong enough. The, the, the difficulty in his voice to admit, I'm actually weak. That's confession. Can you and I put that on the table? Can we confess that we are, we are weak? Some of you are like, I don't, I don't like that. That's part of the problem. We are weak. Comfort includes putting reality on the table with confession. And when we're there, comfort then produces renewal. Verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here's the, the answer, the formula, the remedy, right? Everybody that's taking notes is like, yes, just tell me what to do. Here it is. So how do I find renewal in the comfort of God? We wait on the Lord. And everyone always asks, at least one person always asks, okay, what does it mean to wait? Does that mean I just stop doing everything and I just sit there? No, it doesn't mean you cease activity, though rest is good. But here's at least two things that it, that it does imply. Number one, you're not going to like it. I mean, you should. Patience. Everybody's like, no, not that one. <laughs> what else you got, Pastor? <laughs> when it comes to patience, here it is. You got two choices. You can grow weary or you can worship. Just putting that on the nail list. That's what the text says, not me. <laughs> right? So you got those two choices. You can grow weary. You can wear yourself out. 
You could muster all the motivation you can and want to and need to. And, man, God's just not moving enough. Or maybe you're just too far from God. Therefore, that's why you go to Barnes & Noble and look at the self-help section. And that's why you think you need to do it on your own. And that's why you need to listen to motivational speeches. You can grow weary and wear yourself out. Or you can worship while you wait. Listen, do not mistake passion for patience. Secondly, waiting on the Lord implies depending on him. There's that weakness where we have to say it's actually not on my timing. In fact, waiting on the Lord isn't even about time. It's about who and where you look to. This is where we hope in the Lord, where we trust in the Lord, where we remember that it's his strength, not ours. Dependence begins with presence. Right? In the mundane, in the nothing special of your bedroom, where you're just like praying to the Lord. Dependence begins with presence. I read a book recently, and the author goes on to say, intimacy with God, prayer, intimacy with God leads us to fruitfulness. And his argument was, we want to start with fruitfulness. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what's up. Tell me what I need to change. Just tell me how bad I am. Just like, and so we can move on. Here's the challenge. Wait on the Lord. In the mundane, in the not spectacular, but in the ever presence of God, in these intimate moments with him. Wait on the Lord. So what does he say will happen? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. As we wait on the Lord, we will experience renewal. Now, this word renewal is incredibly important because it's not an increase of strength. It's not a supplement. It's not an injection. It's not a pill. It's not just this thing that you happen to get more of, right? In fact, the word renewal has nothing to do with an increase. The word renewal has something to do with exchange, In other words, that God gives you something that is his. He takes what is yours, takes it away, and he gives you what is his in the Old Testament and in parts of the New Testament. This is always in the context of the exchanging of clothes, putting off the old self, putting on the new self. But that new self is something that God has imparted to you. It is something that he replaces with something that is his. In addition to that, when you read that part, right, they wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. This text points us to Jesus and his cross. What happened at the cross? The one who never grows weary became weary. The one who never grew faint grew faint. The one who is strong became weak. The one who is unsearchable came down and was cut down. It is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus where this promise comes to life. See, Jesus entered into time and space not simply to forgive you of your sin, but in his resurrection, impart his strength and power onto you through the Holy Spirit. 
who he sends to dwell in us, not like a roommate. Do you get that? Like it is God residing in us, and he empowers us to live with a completely new strength, one that's not ours, one that you didn't work for, one that you didn't work out for, one that you didn't pursue, but one that has been gifted to you. This verse tells us that this promise is fulfilled in Christ. And it is given to you and I that Jesus became weak so that in our weakness, we would become strong. Isaiah concludes, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine running and not growing tired? Izzy and I were talking about rugby and he's like, yeah, there's a lot of running. I was like, no thanks. Right? Like, um, (laughs) uh, and then we talked about a 5K and uh, I was telling him that I always see pictures of him in the 5K, and it's like how it started, how it ended. And I'm like, I don't want that. Why would anybody want that, right? But, but the idea here is like you will run, and you'll never get tired. You'll never stop. You won't grow weary. You won't wear yourself out. Your knees will be good, I promise, right? Like you will never faint. The challenge here is when you read that, I want you to know it has a present reality and a future glory. Oftentimes, a lot of preachers will focus on that, and they'll, they'll talk about a future glory like it's right now. In other words, as you wait on the Lord, you're going to soar. No, take it back. They'll say, as you wait on the Lord, you're going to walk. And you're not going to walk. You're going to run. No, you're not going to run. You're going to soar. But what happens when it's a terrible season? He's telling this to Israel in captivity. They're going to be here for just shy of 100 years. The biggest mark of our faith sometimes isn't that you're soaring. And we'll get to that in a bit. Sometimes the biggest mark of our faith isn't that we're soaring, but that we're simply walking. You're going to have some really good days, really good seasons where you're going to soar and praise God in those seasons. Like I'm telling you, you praise God in those seasons. You're going to have some days where you just, you just feel strong. I mean, God's kindness has just been so heavy on you, and you're going to feel like you're running. Run. And then there are going to be those days where it just feels like you're plotting. And this verse is saying, keep going. Even if that means walking. Just keep going. The song, one of the songs that the band sung earlier, right, says, I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. It's not like new year, new year, new you, because every time we say that, terrible things happen, right? And so we're going to have problems. We're going to have hard days, but we will wait for the Lord. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. The sky is not always clear. The sea is not always at flood. The year is not always at summer. The sun is not always in the zenith. The moon is not always at her full. The tree is not always adorned with fruit. The vineyard does not always flow with wine. Roses do not always blush, nor lilies always bloom. Creatures have their rises and their falls, and to us also there must be times when we need to renew our strength, and we shall renew it. For here the promise comes, 
They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And in looking to Jesus, hear his words, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. The comfort of God produces renewal. Listen, I don't want to wait another 20 years of operating out of my own strength only to find out he wasn't insulting me. I also don't want us missing the comfort of God as he calls us by our name, son or daughter. Therefore, as we make our way into this year, there will be bright days and there will be dark seasons. And God is sovereign and above all of those days. Look to him for comfort so that you may find renewal. This isn't just for today, and this is certainly not a trend. It is a necessity in seasons. So when you're soaring, praise God. When you're running, run harder. And when you're walking, wait on him as you look to him. So Christian, what has captivated you apart from God. How do you know if something apart from God has captivated you? You orient your life around it. You orient your life around something outside of the truth of God or the gospel. Remember, when it comes to idolatry, we think it's an external problem. It's actually an internal problem. We're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. But once more, Confession is a grace because in confession is where we remember that God's grace is our only hope. So you're safe in his comfort. What a, what, a, where, what a place to be, to be fully honest. So let me invite you to confess your sin and to repent, to turn to God. And if you're not a Christian, just like us, you're going to wear out and you probably wear yourself out. The difference is that you're doing it in your own strength. Not only how is that going for you, but at the same time, when you fail, because you do and you will, what do you do with your guilt? But God has made a way for you to find renewal, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the same invitation to the saints is the invitation to you to turn away from your sin and turn to God. Church, let us take this to heart one last time. The comfort of God is not for resolution, but for renewal. Let's pray. Father, we confess we confess that we do not see ourselves as we ought, as you call us. And as a result, we're not only forgetful, but we become confident in our own sufficiency, our own wisdom, and in our own strength. The irony of this is that we are worn out and that we have worn ourselves out. 
we fail to confess that we are weak. And so we deprive ourselves of your grace and your strength in our weakness. God, would you forgive us of our sin? Forgive us of our forgetfulness. Father, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will fold us into the comfort of your grace so that we would remember our identity, confess our sin, and find renewal. It is here and by your Spirit where we will see ourselves as you see us, as yours. Help us to know our need for you, and may we walk in your grace and your strength. Church, let me invite you to approach the Lord in confidence.